It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cuts in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Thanks, Nath. Well, morning all. Good to be with you. Let me add my welcome to you this morning. If you want to keep open Galatians chapter 5, I'm just going to read to us again uh, verse 1, and then I'm going to pray for us that God would help us understand 
this passage this morning. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful freedom that we enjoy as believers, a freedom that has been purchased at great cost by the Lord Jesus at the cross, but a freedom that comes to us freely through faith. Father, we give you the thanks for the uh, journey that we've been on as we've walked our way through this wonderful letter to the Galatians and the opportunity to explore something of this freedom that you offer to the people of this world. And Lord Jesus, as we consider this subject again, as we look at freedom through the lens of Galatians chapter 5, help us to heed the warnings and enjoy the encouragements within it. Lord, may we not lose that freedom and may we not abuse that freedom. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you may be familiar, many of you will, be with the 1995 classic, uh, Braveheart, starring Mel Gibson, based loosely on events of 13th century Britain, where the Scottish people were subject to the brutality of English rule. And William Wallace, who's the main character in this story, played by Mel Gibson, leads this crusade for freedom. And it's a captivating film. And as we come to the penultimate scene of the film... William Wallace has been captured by the English and he's about to be executed for his so-called crimes. And as he musters together his last bit of energy, he cries out that immortal word that many of us remember, freedom! Freedom. You see, freedom is an emotive and a powerful concept. It is a cry that would have stirred the heart of every Scotsman to pursue that freedom that William Wallace had fought for. It's a powerful and emotive word, and no less so today in the 21st century as it was in the 13th century. You see, whether we're talking about freedom from oppressive governments, or freedom from abuse, or freedom from anxiety and depression, or freedom from the ever-increasing threat of terrorism which hangs over this world... Deep down, every single human heart longs for freedom. It's why you watch this three-hour epic and you're captivated because you want to see people liberated. And we want to be liberated ourselves. And you see, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, we've looked at it under this concept of freedom. And amongst all the complicated things that Paul maybe speaks about, the heart of this message is actually pretty simple. Nobody, says Paul, is more free than the Christian. A freedom that comes from trusting in a gospel of grace and grace alone. Nobody is more free than the Christian. Now, for those who haven't yet trusted Jesus, if that's you in this room or friends outside this room, to even hold those two things in the same sentence, freedom and Christianity, it seems nothing more than a contradiction, right? 
When people look in from the outside, and I speak for lots of my friends, when they think about Christianity, they don't think of something that liberates. They think of something that restricts and constrains people like a straitjacket. It stops people doing what they want to do. It stops people becoming the people that they want to be. But you see, when we understand freedom as the Bible talks about it, as Paul talks about it, they couldn't be more wrong. Because nobody is more free than the Christian. But you see, the question remains, and it's the question that Paul has been asking throughout. In what sense are we free? What is this freedom that Paul speaks about that Christ has won for us? Now, without covering too much old ground, I want to try and summarize where we've come from with four things. Firstly, we are free from the penalty of sin. The judgment of God has already fallen upon Christ. He has paid the debt of sin in full, past, present and future. There is no longer any penalty of sin for the Christian or no longer any curse of sin as Paul refers to it in chapter 3. Secondly, we are free from being good enough. Our salvation is not based upon our own performance, but on the performance of Christ on our behalf. It's about what God has done, not what we can do. And thirdly, we saw last week, we've been freed from slavery to false gods to pursue and to love and to follow and to be satisfied in the one true living God. And then as we move on to the second half of chapter 5 later in our time this morning, we'll see that the gospel of grace has freed us from the ruling power of sin. It has freed us to love and to live as God intends. You see, when you look at freedom through that lens, through the lens of the gospel, freedom is a quite beautiful thing, isn't it? And Paul says nobody is more free than the Christian. And this morning, there's going to be two headings under the headline there of freedom. Don't lose your freedom. Two warnings almost. First half of chapter 5, Paul says, don't lose that freedom which Christ has won for you. And secondly, don't abuse that freedom which we enjoy as Christians. So firstly, let us turn our attention to that first challenge in verse 1 again. Don't lose your freedom. It's a verse that's come up a number of times already in our journey through Galatians. But let me read it again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free already. We're free. And Paul says, stand firm then. Do not budge. Do not move from that gospel of grace, all that God has done in Christ. Don't let yourselves be burdened again. Don't go back to a life of slavery. Don't go back to the law that captured you by adding things to Jesus because it will ultimately take away your freedom. It will weigh you down and it will crush you. And you see in verse 2 to 4, we see the presenting issue for the Galatian church. The one big thing they were in danger of adding to the gospel of grace was the Old Testament rite of circumcision. Have a look at verse 2 to 4 and listen to how serious Paul is. Listen to the strength of his language. Mark 
My words, he says, listen and listen very carefully, Galatian church, to what I've got to say. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Zero value. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Galatian church, says Paul, if you add circumcision to the gospel of grace, you're in danger of losing your freedom in Christ. And you see, to appreciate why this was such a big issue, we've got to understand circumcision in the Old Testament context, because circumcision was way more than a minor surgical procedure. To put it bluntly, it was way more than chopping off your foreskin. Circumcision was the Old Testament badge of membership to belong to God's covenant people. It was the mark of being a true child of God. And you see what was happening? These Galatian Christians, they'd started, well, have a look down at verse 7 of chapter 5. You were running a good race, says Paul. You started well. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? You began by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. But these Jewish legalists, these false teachers have cut in on you. And they are persuading you to add to the gospel of grace with circumcision. If you really want to belong. Jesus is a good start, they're saying. Well done, Jesus. Good start. But if you really want to belong. If you really want to be secure, if you want to be a real child of God, then you must add circumcision. That will complete you. As a Christian believer. It's gospel plus. It's gospel plus circumcision. It's gospel plus works of the law. It's gospel plus my own human efforts, which of course is actually gospel minus. Because whenever you add anything to the work of Christ, you are just taking away from what he has done. You are saying that the work of the Lord Jesus was incomplete. It is not sufficient. I must add something to finish what Jesus has started. Which totally demeans the work of Christ on the cross, doesn't it? That the Lord Jesus would suffer as he did. He would bear our sin upon his shoulders on the cross. And for us to say, Jesus, that's not enough. I must add something to what you have done to complete what you could not finish. It is totally demeaning to the work of the gospel. And Paul's point throughout this letter, and I'm not ashamed to say it again, if you're bored of it, I'm not sorry, because he keeps saying, Jesus is enough. The gospel of grace is all that we need. You remember the words of Jesus on the cross in his dying breath? It is finished, complete, done. Not 90% done, and I'll add my 10%, or 99%, I'll add 1%, or 99.99999%, and I'll add my little bit. No, it's done. It's all done. And the song Amazing Grace, it captures that truth wonderfully, doesn't it? Through many dangers, toils and snares, 
I have already come. It is grace that brought me safe this far. And grace will lead me home. It's all grace. Grace at the beginning, grace all the way through, and grace will take me across the finish line into heaven. It is all the grace of God. Look how the apostle summarizes it in verse 6. Look. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. On that final day when we stand before God in heaven, outward signs, outward marks, outward associations will be meaningless. The Lord Jesus will look at your heart and he will check for faith. Have you trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone? A faith that then will express itself in love. And you see, before we move on to our second point, I do want to dwell here and try and apply this. Because you see, what is the challenge from this for us today? See, I doubt anyone's knocked on your door, a Jewish legalist has come knocking and said, oh, by the way, I want you to be circumcised. In fact, you must be circumcised to be a proper Christian. I doubt that's ever happened to you. So in what ways are we in danger today of adding to what the Lord Jesus has done? Well, without doubt, there's a challenge for the Catholic Church here. who are in danger of adding participation in mass amongst other things, to the work of Jesus. But I'd like to put before you another scenario this morning, which will probably come a little bit closer to home. Here's the scenario. Imagine you leave here this afternoon, and you have a really bad week following Jesus. You slip up again and again. You fall again and again into the same habitual sin. What will you do? How will you respond? You see, after that initial hiding, which I think we all do, it's been there since Genesis 3, we hide immediately because of our sin. I think our natural tendency then is to try and work our way back into God's good books. Rather than simply say sorry and enjoy the freedom that comes with all forgiving grace. Something in our subconscious thinks, I've got to sort of make a bit of amends. I'm going to have to follow up that bad week with a good week. If God's really going to be pleased with me, if he's re- if I'm really going to receive the Lord's favour, I've got to sort of readdress things a little bit, haven't I? I've got to weigh things up a little bit again in my favour. It's gospel plus. Because you see, the wonder of grace is however good or however bad my week has been, however much I have messed up outwardly, if there is genuine faith in my heart, I am fully forgiven. The full penalty for sin has been paid and I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God looks at me through the lens of what Jesus has done and he sees nothing wrong because Christ has already paid it. Romans 8, verse 1 and 2, Paul picks up on the same theme and summarizes brilliantly for us, doesn't he? Therefore, there is now. What a precious word that is, now. Right now. However rebellious your last week has been, however wayward you have been, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So when we do mess up, and we will, firstly, don't hide from God. And secondly, don't try and make amends in any small way. Enjoy the freedom that comes with grace. Know that it has been done already. The first thing Paul has to say here is don't lose your freedom by adding to the gospel of grace. But the second thing Paul goes on to say is don't abuse your freedom. Don't lose your freedom and don't abuse your freedom. Have a look at verse 13 and 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't abuse what Christ has won for you. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I remember a few years ago being on a on a school mission with Christians in sport and we were in an organized sixth form debate up in the common room and it got onto this subject of grace and forgiveness and I was in a conversation with one of the girls in the in the common room and you could see her processing what this meant and she's like okay so you're telling me Wellesley if I trust in what Jesus has done on the cross fully forgiven past present future that means I can live how I want, right? means I can do what I want. And I said, you know what? Yeah. That's grace. But of course, when you accept grace, when you understand what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart and he changes you. Your desires, your passions, your loves, your dreams, he changes everything. And you now want to live in a way that pleases God. You see, Christian freedom doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want to do. It means you've been freed wonderfully from the bondage of sin to live a life for the glory of God. You've been freed to love. And that's Paul's point in verse 13 and 14. Don't abuse your freedom, but use your freedom to love and to live as God intends. Which, of course, is easy to say, right? (laughs) But the Christian life says it's much harder to love and to live in the way that God intends. Hence Mark's question at the beginning. Life, of course, is a battle. You see, one thing that we're not free from is the influence of sin. We have been freed from the ruling power of sin. Sin doesn't dominate my heart. It doesn't master me like it used to, but it still influences me. And that's the battle that Paul alludes to. Look in verse 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh They are in conflict with each other. That's the battle now going on in the human heart, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Imagine for a moment that the human heart is a boxing ring. 
Before you were converted, if you're a Christian here this morning, there was only one fighter in the heart of the human ring, and Paul calls it the flesh. We were mastered and we were dominated by the flesh. And have a look down at verse 19 to 21 to see what the flesh is like, because it is a horrible master. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self-ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what our hearts are like before Christ intervenes. You see, when the world says you become a Christian, you lose your freedom. That's what freedom is like without Christ. You're not free from anything. You're ruled by the power of indwelling sin. You're anything but free if you haven't trusted Christ tonight. But you see, the moment we trust in Jesus, we are perfectly and fully forgiven. And the Holy Spirit comes flooding into the heart of the believer. Giving us a new power to live the Christian life. Look on the screen. There is now a new champion in the heart of the human ring. And that, of course, is the moment the conflict really begins, right? Before you trust Christ, there is no conflict. We just go the way of the flesh again and again and again. But the moment we get the gospel of grace and the spirit of God comes to live in the heart of the human being, that's when the conflict begins. It's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, and it's a battle that rages every single day in the heart of the believer until the day the Lord Jesus takes us home. John Owen, the great Puritan, speaks of this battle look. Regeneration, the moment you become a Christian, when God regenerates your heart, regeneration makes man's heart a battlefield where the flesh, the old man, tirelessly disputes the supremacy of the spirit, the new man. But notice the supremacy of the spirit. Because here's the wonderful truth of the gospel. We're not talking about a fight where we're not sure about the outcome. We're not talking about two equal powers. The wonderful truth is the Spirit of God is winning day by day in the human heart, delivering punch after punch after punch and destroying the flesh that is within us. And one day, either when I go to meet the Lord or when the Lord Jesus comes back to meet me, The spirit will land the decisive blow and the flesh will be laid out on the canvas never to rise again. I will be perfectly free from all those battles and all the the sin that still rages in my heart. I'll be totally liberated, never to be drawn away from God again. Never to do anything but to love and enjoy the freedom that Christ has won for us. But until that day arrives, Paul says, don't miss this. It is a battle. The power of sin has been defeated, but it's still an influence in my heart and your heart. And it's capable of landing a little blow that will make us stagger sometimes in the Christian life. The pull of the flesh remains strong. John Piper asked the question, how can the Christian life be described as both a battle and a rest? Because it is, isn't it? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, says Jesus. Paul says the moment I trust Christ is when the battle really begins. So how can the Christian life be both a battle and a rest? 
Well, Piper says it's actually pretty simple. The greatest battle in the Christian life is to rest in the right place. That's our battle this morning. Not to think I can do it in my own strength, by means of the flesh, by means of my own human efforts, but it's to collapse my weight and my confidence into Christ and say, you can do it. That's my battle, to know that I can't and he can. And it's the battle that's going on every single day, that Jesus has done it all and his spirit comes to live in me, to transform me and you into the likeness of Christ. You can see that by the language Paul uses throughout. Verse 16, live by what? Not my own fleshly means and labors and efforts. Live by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit. Verse 25 again, keep in step with the Spirit. God is committed to finishing what he has started in our hearts. And he will finish it. But as we journey through this life, what is Paul's exhortation to us? What are we called to do? Keep in step. Just skip happily along with what God is already doing in our hearts. And as we do that, look at what he's producing in our lives. It's where we began our time together, isn't it? But the fruit of the Spirit, it's not an act, it's not mine, it's a fruit of God's work in my heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, what a beautiful list. Lay the fruits of the Spirit next to the acts of the flesh. What do you want to be characterized by? Because Paul says the life of freedom that Christ has won for us is a life filled with the Spirit to bear the fruit and the likeness of Christ. That's the list that I want to be marked by, right? And that's the life of freedom that Paul talks about. And notice that it's singular and not plural. Fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. It's not that I pick and choose, like going to a fruit bowl, have an apple or banana, I'll have the fruit of love, or the fruit of patience, or the fruit of kindness. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have all the characteristics of Christ. Of course we will struggle in some areas more than others, and you should pray for God's grace to grow us in those areas. But when you have the Spirit, you have all the fullness of Christ. God is living within us, and he says, don't abuse that freedom. Don't live in contrary to what God is doing in your heart, but keep in step with the Spirit. Let me finish with a a little illustration. Imagine this balloon represents the human life. And a fully inflated balloon represents a fully fruitful Christian life that Paul speaks of in verse 22 and 23. Here's what the Jewish legalists were saying. The false teachers in Galatia were advocating an outward way of fruitfulness, outward law, outward signs, outward means, outward efforts. It's like trying to pull the balloon into shape from the outside. That's what the law tries to do. You can't do it, right? You cannot pull the balloon into shape from the outside. It's impossible. Galatians 5 verse 1, you will lose your freedom. It will weigh you down. It will burden you. It will crush you because it's impossible. Paul says there is another way. And it's by trusting 
in what Jesus has done and by the power of the Spirit within. Because when the Spirit of God comes to live inside the believer, that's the Christian life. You cannot do it from the outside. The law will never succeed. It cannot succeed. But God has done it for you. Jesus died to bring full forgiveness. And he comes in to live within us the full power and resources of heaven to change us from within. We're not just free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the ruling power of sin as the Lord Jesus transforms us from within. So let me leave you for a minute with the two headlines there on the screen. To ponder in your own hearts and the exhortation that Paul leaves with us. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Don't lose your freedom by adding to the gospel of grace. And don't abuse your freedom, but keep in step with what God is doing in your hearts. Take a minute and then we're going to have some time together to share in communion together.